0: This weekly broadcast is presented to you by Cornerstone Bible Center, located in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. If you subscribe to this podcast, please send us an email at in teaching at yahoo.com. And now, here's our teacher, Alex Del Percio. That were instituted by God for the Israelites. Now, the word feast here means a fixed time or season, it means an appointed meeting, and it also means an appointed place, which I believe all of those meanings apply. The feast, you have a fixed time or season. If you look at the Jewish calendar, you'll see they have certain months that they celebrate certain feasts. And then you have an appointed meeting. It's an appointed meeting with God in praise or worship through the feasts. And then you would have an appointed place, certain feasts, they had to go certain places uh, to to partake of. Now, has anybody here done any studying or knows much about the Jewish feasts? I didn't think so. (laughs) And I'll also raise my hand because I have not really uh, studied at all. Related to any of the feast, and I felt like a fish out of water looking at this chapter because I, I was amazed at how much I didn't know. And I think that's probably because there's not much teaching ever uh, in the church. Sometimes there is, but uh, overall there's not much teaching, and all I'm going to do is this is like an overview of this because I believe that there are things that are <clears throat> in there that we could relate and I will relate them to the New Testament, but they're, they're all inter, interlinked with other areas in, in the Scriptures. For example, in Numbers, in Exodus, you'll see things dealing with the feasts that are in much detail. Whereas in, in this chapter in Leviticus, you don't have the detail there, but I believe there's an order. And I'll show you at the very end, I, I believe that God set these up in, in a particular order. And so, there, there's not, and of course, there's many scriptures in the New Testament, again, that relate to this. But we're just going to kind of like go over it very quickly, if you will. Now, in Leviticus 23, God institutes these feasts for the Israelites. And he's going to do it for certain reasons probably that, will, that, that I'll mention, and others that are not really known or seen. God does things and doesn't really sometimes explain or show us what he's doing. Now, he, he believe, I believe that he does this, one of the reasons he does this, is, is to draw Israel together. So that once they're in the land, you have the tribes have their different areas where they're going to uh, locate And many times these were pretty far from one another, and as human nature is, it doesn't take much to bring separation or to erect barriers between people. Um, And I was actually thinking of, uh, you know, God brings us together here for a common reason. We're in this church for a common reason, We're, we're here because of Christ, the will of God, and so on. But when a person leaves and they get involved in something else, right away there is, is a barrier there or something happens where now you know, they're not as close as they once were. And these feasts, one of the things I see with them is God is going to use that when the people are scattered out in the land to bring them together, to unite them, to, to bring down any barriers that are there that could have arose between families, people, to tribes, and what have you. Now they're going to have a common goal. They're going to be moving in, in a common direction that God has laid out for them in the feast. Now in verse 4, i want to read two verses here. And these are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. Verse 24, speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month and in the first day of the month shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, and holy convocation. Now the word there, convocation, means a calling together. So that tells you something. That God is going to call them together at this time of the, of the year, of the month, uh, to celebrate these feasts. And the interesting thing is that even though the Jews today are spread throughout the world, when it comes to these feasts, they, for, the, for the most part, they're there, they're together, they come together as families or as groups or as... In the, in the synagogues, um, and, and they fellowship in the meaning of these particular feasts. And so there is this drawing together. Now, how many here have ever heard of... Um, his name is tough. Um, I can't stop. Let me, let me think a second here. He, he's the one that... Uh, he was the Greek the tyrant that came into Jerusalem, came into the Holy Land. Antiochus Epiphanes. Has anybody heard of Antiochus Epiphanes? Okay. He was a Greek and he was a tyrant. He comes into the land and he tells the Jews that we're going to unite this country under the Greek uh, culture. And he says, no more observance of the Sabbath, um, no more sacrifices, uh, no more feasts, none of this, any Jew that does this is going to be put to death. And so some of them, you know, come under that, and they, they, they don't do that anymore. What he does, he comes in uh, to, the, to the, uh, the city, he goes into the Holy of Holies, and you've heard of the god Zeus. He places a statue of the god Zeus in the Holy of Holies. And then he goes out into the, I guess, the outer court, and he, they take a pig, and they sacrifice it on the altar. And when he does that, because now he is coming against the Sabbath, the feast, and all these different things, a lot of the Jews unite, and uh, they, they start this campaign. Have you ever heard of the Book of Maccabees? It's an apocryphal book. From a, The Catholic Church has it in their Bible. It's a historical book. <clears throat> Matthias Maccabees was a father of five sons. Judas Maccabees, his son, was one of the key players here who, who starts this rebellion and, and actually starts this guerrilla warfare in the hills around Jerusalem and in the countryside to defeat this tyrant. And it takes some, like three years or so, and finally they're defeated. And then, hence, you have the Jews today celebrating Hanukkah. That's what that is, Festival of Lights. Whenever they rededicate the temple once again to the service of God. So these feasts, throughout their history of the Jewish people, have been used to bring them together and to unite them. What I want to do, and I don't know if I'm going to have time, but I'm just going to go over these real quick, Um, somebody to read. First three verses, chapter 23. When you read this and you really start to study this, it doesn't appear, and I believe this is correct, it doesn't appear that the Sabbath was one of the feasts here. I believe there was seven feasts. The Sabbath here is mentioned because the Sabbath is going to be the yardstick for all these, so to speak, for all these feasts. And the reason why... Uh, Most people don't believe that the Sabbath is is actually one of the feasts in this chapter is because the Sabbath was instituted many years before. Um, You see the pattern in Genesis where on the seventh day God rested. And then I'll read this scripture here from Deuteronomy 5.15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. And that's in Deuteronomy. So before this time, the Sabbath was already being kept by the Jews. So, and of course, you know, that fits in with Hebrews, where Hebrews talks about, you know, a a rest. But they celebrate the Sabbath, I believe, because it represents their deliverance from um, Egypt. In Deuteronomy 5.15, God says, now I've delivered you, this is what you do. You you observe the Sabbath. And of course, it's also teaching them that you need one day, that you need to set aside where you don't work and to come together to, to worship. And so on. Okay, but the reason why I say that the Sabbath is a measuring stick is because of this. The Sabbath is the seventh day. Okay, Pentecost, which is the Feast of Weeks, was seven weeks of Sabbath, so you had seven Sabbaths, then the following day, the 50th day, you had Pentecost, so you have seven sevens, and then you have the Day of Atonement, which is on the seventh new moon, which is the seventh month, and then you have the Passover that's observed on the 14th day of the first month, and you have 14, which is two sevens, so throughout These feasts, this this number seven, is continually repeated. And even in chapter 25, whenever you go to the year of Jubilee, you have seven, seven year periods, and then the first day after that is the year of Jubilee. So you see this this number seven moving in chapter 23, and you see it in in chapter 25. Now, remember, seven, I believe here, is God's purpose. If they obey the feasts there's going to be a desired outcome from that, and that's going to be that God is going to be able to bring them together. He's going to break down barriers and obstacles between them, and then he's going to also bring reconciliation because they're coming together and they're setting aside probably differences. Now we're giving this time to God in obedience to the feast. So so that's probably one of the reasons why you see this number seven moving throughout this chapter. Now, The first feast here is seen in verse 4. Let me read real quick here. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their season in the fourteenth day of the first month. uh, At the evening is the Lord's Passover. So Passover, of course we know they celebrated that because it was their deliverance from... From uh, Egypt. In First Corinthians, hold your place there, First Corinthians five verse seven. Now this is related here to, to Passover, okay? Uh, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be the, that ye, ye may be a new lump, excuse me, as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, what they would do is they would purge out any leaven in the house the week prior to uh, Passover to be sure that there was no leaven in the house, and and that I believe goes back to what we see in Egypt whenever they, they leave quickly. We'll get to that in a minute. Now, the Passover represents what? The crucifixion of Christ, as far as we're concerned. It represents the, the crucifixion of Christ, who was the lamb, the Passover lamb, slain, slain and the blood of Jesus Christ, has been applied to the door lintel, so to speak, of our heart. So here you have this actual feast of Passover. Then you have the anti-type, which would be Christ dying, or his crucifixion, his blood being shed, and applied to our heart, and God passes over our, you know, our, our sin. Now the Passover was observed one day. The next day which was the first day of the week, was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, back in Leviticus 23, that is actually from verse 6 through 8, and we're just going to read verse 6. And on the, on the 50th day of the first month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread unto the Lord. Seven days ye must eat unleavened bread. Now... Um, of course, now that goes back to Exodus. Somebody turn to Exodus real quick, Gene, chapter twelve, or whoever gets there. Exodus twelve, read verses thirty-three and thirty-four. Now, the the um, a lot of people, a lot of commenta- commentators, they believe that Passover unleavened bread and first fruits. It's all speaking about the same thing because they're so closely related. If you read in the Bible, you will see them mentioned together. But to understand what's really going on, you have to look at them separately. And I believe that's why they're listed separately in this chapter. Go ahead. That's uh, verse 33 and 34. The Egyptians wanted to get them out of the land. They wanted to get them out of Egypt. Go out. And so they said, if, if we don't get them out, we're dead men. So they tell them to go, and they, they take their unleavened bread. Didn't have time to, to raise or anything. They take their unleavened bread, and they go out. Now, there is a type here, I believe, and I believe that symbolizes the fellowship that we have now with Christ. See, remember, leaven represents sin or the principle of evil. Unleavened would represent that which is not sin or the nature that you have been given or you have received through Christ and his death, which brings us into fellowship with him. So, so the unleavened bread here, one of the types that's seen is that it represents fellowship with Christ because of his death. Purge out the old leaven. See, that's purging out the sin. From your heart and life. Um, now, this was celebrated for seven days. Then you, you come to the next one, which is the um, Feast of First Fruits. Now, there's other types dealing, before we go any further, there's other types here dealing with the unleavened bread. For example, um, j- just as they wanted to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Quickly, when a person comes to the Lord, he changes their carnal thinking. And when he changes that thinking, the old man, Egypt, so to speak, the carnal man, wants that thinking to be (laughs) away, go away, go out of this area. Go out some, some other place. So there, there are other typologies here, and I just wanted to mention those two, but mainly the fellowship we enjoy through Christ. Now, the first fruits is seen, we're not going to read all these verses either, and then I'm going to confuse you when we get to Pentecost. The first fruits is seen from verse 9 through 14. Now, it was celebrated here uh, to honor God or to thank God for the uh, early harvest. So what, would the, what they would do was they would plant the fields, and whenever they'd, they'd watch the fields whenever they would see, for example, wheat stalk. When, when they would get some wheat just starting to come on the stalks, they would go around and they would, they would take a, a handful of that, and they would wait, and you know there may be just a couple that are, are early, and they're coming, you know, to to um, you know maturity. And they would maybe wait a couple days, and they would bind a, these stalks together, and they would take those to the priest. And what the priest would do is he would take them in to the tabernacle, and he would wave them to the Lord, and then they would you know present that that. Um, first fruits of the grain or of whatever I don't know if they did that for uh, other crops I don't know probably uh, they would take the first fruits and that would be dedicated to the Lord look in verse 9 and the Lord spake unto Moses saying speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them when ye come into the land which I give unto you and shall reap the harvest thereof then ye shall bring a sheath of the first fruits. See that that's one of their feasts. They're taking a sheath of the first thing that grew and they're giving that to the Lord. Now the new crop of grain, or whatever it was, could not be enjoyed or they could not partake of that until first they gave the first fruit of the offering to God. Just as Christ had to be offered as the first fruit before we could partake of that or him and that harvest that, that, that we have through Christ. It's the same principle. As a matter of fact, there's scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15 that actually say this. You know, I've read these scriptures before in the New Testament and never really realized how close they tie. I mean, you know that the scriptures tie into the Old Testament, but I never realized that all these scriptures tied into Leviticus the way they do. In 1 Corinthians 15, 23, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So, so Christ became the first fruit offered to God. And, of course, if you have a first fruit, you're going to have a crop or an increase that follows that. See, which would be the church. All those who came after Christ, who was the first fruit. So Christ here, and, of course, related to the first fruits, is, is dealing with, I believe... And symbolizing the resurrection. See, he was the first fruits from from those who have died. He was the first fruit of those who who rose from the dead. Just as we see here with this, the first fruits are given to God. So so this here symbolizes uh, the resurrection. Now verse 20 in 1 Corinthians says this, But now if Christ be risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So he became the offering, he became the feast, if you will. So it's interesting when you start to look at some of these and you you look at the tabernacle set up and the Jews celebrate these things and the Jews know the tabernacle as far as the physical setup of the thing better than we do but yet they miss the antitypes portrayed in all these things, being Christ. <clears throat> and of course, because of, of the blindness of their heart. Now let's go to, back to Leviticus 23. Now this one here, I, I didn't know this. I thought Pentecost was Pentecost. <laughs> in the Old Testament... And I don't know, is it, is it in the New? I don't even know if it's in the New. I don't think so. But in the Old Testament, the Feast of Pentecost was actually given three different names. The first was the Feast of Weeks. That's Exodus 34, 22, and Deuteronomy 16, 10, uh, which celebrated seven weeks or seven Sabbaths, And then after that, you would have the Feast of first fruit. Okay, it was called the Feast of Weeks. It was called the Feast of Harvest. It's called that in Exodus 23, 16, because what would happen was at the conclusion of the harvest at the very end, they called that the, the Feast of Harvest. It just worked out that way the days, and that's another name for Pentecost. The third was called the Day of Firstfruits. This is, I thought it was for me when I'm, I'm studying something, this is confusing. But God puts things in the Bible like this for reasons. Now, the, the Day of Firstfruits is Numbers 28-26, and what they would do is they would take uh, the grain and go through the process of making make it in into flour, and they would bake loaves, and the loaves were taken and... Uh, offered in the tabernacle. I think yes. Um, verse 17, chapter twenty three. You shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two tenth deals, they shall be of fine flour, they shall be bacon with leaven, they are the first fruits unto the Lord. So that first fruit's talking about Pentecost. That's what it's talking about. Okay, now Pentecost always fell on the first day after the seven Sabbaths. Seven weeks, you got that? I don't. (laughs) Or after 49 days. It'd be 49 days, that would be seven weeks of Sabbaths, or seven Sabbaths, okay? And on the 50th day, which was the first day of the week, you had Pentecost. Or, relating that to the New Testament, you had the beginning of the church. Now turn to Acts. Now, Pentecost, see, we relate Pentecost to what happened in Acts. But if you go back in the Old Testament, Pentecost was was the people coming together and thanking God for the wheat harvest. That's what it was. Now, there were, I hope I have it in here. There were certain times of the year, uh, there were three feasts, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'll mention this again in a few seconds. There were three feasts that they were commanded to go to Jerusalem to celebrate. And uh, we'll get to that in a a minute, but... Pentecost here, the, the, the type was they celebrated or gave God thanks for the harvest of wheat. The anti-type of that was would be in Acts, where you see the beginning of the church. Now, in Acts 1, the whole chapter, actually, or no, 1 through 21, uh, you see the descending... Um, they're told to, to wait for the, the Holy Spirit, etc. Now look in verse 5 of chapter 2. Then, then there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every country under heaven. I thought, when I have read that before, I always thought that that meant that these were people just living in, in Jerusalem, but it wasn't. These were Jews out of every country around that made the pilgrimage back to Jerusalem according to to, what God had said and ordained, they would go there and probably get a room and wait for the 50th day, which would be the day of Pentecost. Now, in this is in Exodus, and I'll read it from Deuteronomy because it's only one verse. Deuteronomy 16.16 says this, Three times a year shall all males appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, in the Feast of Weeks, which which is Pentecost, and in the Feast of Tabernacle, they shall not appear before the Lord empty, which I thought was really good. So these three feasts, no matter where they were in the land, no matter how far away they were, God says that you're going to have to make a pilgrimage now and you're going to have to go back to Jerusalem and that's where you're going to have to to gather together as as a Jewish people or a nation and celebrate this harvest of wheat. Lo and behold, when they go there, now God is going to bring in the anti-type, which is the descending of the Holy Spirit, and the birthing of the church. And that happened on the 50th day. Just like the Old Testament. It's like these things just all fall in line. Has anybody ever looked at that and and studied that before? Daniel, did you? No? You talk about how God is over everything and how he can orchestrate things in your life. It's amazing how... You you have millions and millions and millions of, of Christians throughout the world. And God is able to meet certain needs in every single person's life, bringing all these things in their life into his purpose, fitting things together, bringing a oneness of purpose throughout the world with other believers, Plus, with all these other things that he fulfills and has moving that we don't see, like when, whenever uh, the 50th day fell, and you had this dual thing happening. And then you have prophecy that's being fulfilled, and what have you, all fit together, you know, in, in, in this purpose of God. It's just tremendous how God can do these things. You know, and and we're just saying it's a teeny-weeny little bit of it here, how he, at the 50th day, where the Spirit of God descended, and that was the day of Pentecost, Old Testament and New Testament, brought together. And now there's going to be another purpose, uh, another direction, if you will. So... The feast of Unle- unleavened bread, the first fruits, and Pentecost were all celebrated in Jerusalem. Okay. God brings now, kind of trying to get this together here. A lot of the feasts were directly related to the agriculture. You know, the planning of food. You know, grain and barley, or um, the tr- their fruit trees, the fig trees, and what have you. And God, through this, is, this is how I see this, that he is saying that you are going to cel- celebrate or to praise and worship me. He's bringing this praise and worship right down to the orchard or right down to the grain field. So that the praise and the worship that they are going to experience here, part of it is going to be because of the sweat of their brow. That's related to that. And then you see in the New Testament that it says that you should work. If a person doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. That's that's related to that. They're going to praise God. Who planted the fields? They did with their own sweat, their own work. And now God says, well, now you're going to praise me. I'm going to bring, bring my praise and worship right down there to the orchard, to the fig orchard and to the grain field. And so he does that here through this particular feast. Now the fifth feast, and, you know, I, I looked at this, and there are plenty, there's plenty that I don't see. In verse 23, back in Leviticus 23. I'm not too sure about this, and I'll I'll give you this, and I I don't know. Maybe someone else has something else they could share. In chapter 23, verse 23, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein, but ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. So here you have the Feast of Trumpets. This was on the seventh month. And what, it, what they would do, they, the Feast of Trumpets would call the people together to try to get them ready for the annual Day of Atonement. So so here, it was to prepare them for, I guess, the judgment of their sins. God's going to say, you know, here's your sin. Now the priest has to go in, the high priest has to go in, in the Day of Atonement. But this is a time where they had to consecrate and dedicate themselves, uh, and they blew a trumpet. Now, we, we think you've blown a trumpet for... To celebrate, you know, well, they're, getting, they're celebrating, yeah, their dedication to him, not celebrating in dance. But they're going to, to get their hearts right and prepare themselves for the annual Day of Atonement. Not just get up, throw some clothes on, and run to church. See, there was a preparation before the annual Day of Atonement that God had set out. He said, this is going to be a feast, you have to observe this. I think that's very interesting. Now, what this symbolizes, I'm not sure. I, I think maybe the, the trumpet, because whenever you see you see trumpets in the Old Testament, uh, I don't know what book it's in, one of the, one of the, um, the Pentateuch, it's Numbers maybe, or Deuteronomy, I don't know, maybe in Exodus, where they sounded the two silver trumpets. Whenever they were going to, to journey in, in the land, they would sound two silver trumpets, and that would be the call, so to speak. They were, they were calling everyone, now here's the call, it's going on with these two trumpets, and now we're going to go on this journey. So that's probably one of the meanings of uh, the meanings where there's, there's this call that goes out. And in Revelation, you see the trumpets dealing with judgment, but I don't know if that fits into this or not. So you can have a final call. It can symbolize a final call. It can symbolize the final call of Israel to the land. I I don't know. The sixth feast, does anybody have anything on that? Anybody ever study the, the Feast of Trumpets? When I started to study this, I was like, just like overwhelmed. I said, there's no way... I can study these in a week and teach on them. You know the way I like to teach on them. I like to just get in there and, and look at it, see what's going on, and, and really understand it, so that I can you know bring that out and teach it. But I like this here. When I came to it, I, I I'm not sure at all. But that's okay. Um, the the sixth feast was the uh, Day of Atonement, verse twenty six. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Also on the tenth day of this seventh month there shall be a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls. Now this is interesting. This is the only one of all the feasts where they don't come forth in celebration to God. In other words, they're afflicting their soul because of their sin. But all the other feasts deal with you know, celebrating and and being um, joyful to God for what he's done and and having that joy in them to, you know, thank you, Lord, for this harvest and, you know, praising him. But this is the only one that isn't, which actually, I, I don't know, you know, should we be experiencing thankfulness and joyfulness to God in our heart Six times as much as when we have to afflict our soul, so to speak. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, should we always be, like some people, you know, know, this pious thing? Hallelujah. Or is it that God wants us to come to Him, for the most part, most of the time, with this joyful heart, in praise and worship to Him for what He's done, what He's produced, all these different things that He's brought together in our lives um, and how He's brought us along over many years, progressing in Him. So I think that sometimes uh, people take the, the, the wrong attitude in approaching the Lord. Now, one verse and I'll just read this Romans five eleven. we looked at this before and not only so but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we have now received the atonement so the day of atonement here we know what it meant we studied this before in, in chapter 16 but as an anti-type to this it was probably would be Christ's work the work that he did in the heavenly sanctuary. See, there's always something else going on, as I've been telling you. You have this down here on the earthly plane, and then you have something that is moving somewhere else in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual plane, and many times we can see the anti-type of that, and I believe the anti-type for the Day of Atonement would be Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary. Okay. The seventh feast is in verse, well, it's actually verses 33 through 43, but let's just read verse 34. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The, the, fi- the fifteenth day of, the, of this seventh month shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. Now who knows what the Feast of Tabernacles is? How many have heard of the Feast of Booths? Okay. Do you realize that Jews still you know, do, I don't know if they, if they observe all these, I really don't know. But I know the feast, Hanukkah is one that's very big, which I find very interesting because it was, was never anything that God included in the Bible. It wasn't included in, in the feast here or, or anywhere else that I saw. But that's a big time of celebration because of what I told you before, the rededication of the temple. Um, the the uh, Jews still celebrate the Feast of Booths. And, and the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacle, uh, was in memory of their journey in the wilderness when they lived in, in tents. So what they do even today... Even Jews that live in apartment complexes and they have a little patio, that time of the year, they'll go out and make a little structure there. You know, for the Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacle. And I imagine they go out and sleep in that. How many days was this to say seven? For seven days, verse 34. You know, they probably, you know, do that, probably sleep in it to remind them which is another interesting thing, (laughs) remind them of their wilderness journey. Now, in John 17, now, what does the Feast of Booths, what what is the anti-type for that? Well, I'm not sure, but it it seems as though, I'll read one verse here from Micah. Micah 4.4. But they shall sit every man under his vine and, and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. That's speaking, I believe, about the time when they will dwell once again safely and in peace in the land. So, so that you have probably two things going on here. One, they're celebrating it for the purpose of... Uh, reminding them of their wilderness journey. And then you have this other thing here where it's, I believe, an anti-type where they, they will once again, this is a sim- symbolic of them being, st- uh, geez, once again dwelling in the land safely in peace without you know wars and etc. But anyway, also the, the, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles, probably looks forward to the time when God would, would bring everything together in, in one. Jesus said that in in John 17, 23. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one. Now, I want to show you this. We just covered them, as I said, very quickly. And I want to read a verse here from from Zechariah. I thought this was very interesting. He tells them that if you don't keep the feasts, or another way to say it is, if you're not moving with me, that the blessing of God will not be upon you. In Zechariah 14, I'll read three verses. And everyone that, this is out of the Amplified, and everyone that is left of all the nations which came, came against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles or the feast of booths. And it shall be that whoso of the families of the earth shall not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, upon them shall there be no rain. No rain. see, without rain, there is no growth, there is no production, there is no food. And if the family of Egypt do not go up to Jerusalem and present themselves, so in other words, even if they're living somewhere else, and they don't go up to Jerusalem and present themselves, upon them there shall be no rain, but there shall be plagues, etc., etc., so the Lord says that if you want the blessing and you want the rain, which will produce a crop, an increase, you must obey and go up to Jerusalem for the feasts. So if you want, spiritually speaking, a production, an increase in your life, if you want rain, there, there must be obedience to the Lord in, in that, whatever... It is that he's bringing before you. Now, in, and this is, I see a little order here. I don't know if you do or you don't. As I said, these feasts are in other areas of the Bible in more detail. But in, in Leviticus, it seems as though the Lord put them together there in an order for us to see something. And so you have here, the Passover, which represents the crucifixion of Christ, that's where it begins for us. Okay, and then you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. See, after the crucifixion, now we can have fellowship. There, there is no fellowship with Christ uh, apart from the, the crucifixion, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for us. And then you have the first fruits, which is the resurrection. You have the death of Christ, you have the resurrection of Christ following that order in Leviticus. And then you have uh, Pentecost, which was the beginning of the church after the resurrection of Christ. And then you have uh, the, the Feast of Trumpets or the call of God or the final call of God, that, that time frame there, moving along. And then the Day of Atonement is Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary where where probably, I don't know... Exactly what that would be now, what he's doing now, I don't, I don't know. But I, I think that this, there's still an order here. And then you have the Feast of Booths, uh, which someday will be a dwelling in peace in the land. And you can take that two ways with the, the Israelites or dwelling in the land in peace, spiritually speaking. So there seems to be an order in this chapter related to the Feast. And I wanted to just give you just like a little overview of them so at least you have some idea now of what the feasts are. I believe that we could sit down and probably study each one in detail and teach a class on each one um, and take scriptures from the, from the New Testament. Now, if you want to go back and look at some of these, um, it may be something beneficial to you to do that bring more of an understanding. It's interesting, there are very few Christians that I know that have an understanding of the feasts. Anybody I ever ask, they don't know much about them. Uh, and, and, and I think the reason for that is, is because the, the anti-type there is hidden. If we can start to see the anti-type of them, then we'll start to understand their fulfillment by Christ, and the fulfillment of them, and how that relates to what you know, we see in the New Testament. Now, are there any questions? Yeah. I might not be able to answer it. <laughs> Do you know how many days out of the year consisted of all these feasts in mind? No, I don't. I, I know that there, there's, um, there's three feasts in the seventh month, and there's feasts in the third month. And I didn't have time to go through, and there's there's one at the end. I I don't know. See, the Jewish calendar, once again, is different than our our calendar. For example, Hanukkah, which is in in this portion, is in December. It's right around Christmas. So so these feasts were spread out. Um, Now, whenever they... I'll say this and we'll close. Whenever they had the feast, there was probably two reasons uh, that God had in mind. One of them would be, as I said before, to draw them together. Another one would be uh, economics. Because now you have the Jews from all these different places and countries, and they're making this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And now you have to stay somewhere. And let's say they may need a plow or you know, they need something around their home that, that, that they didn't have. Now they're going to Jerusalem and they can find someone there now that has a plow, let's say, and say, listen, make sure that you have one. I want to pick it up next year when I come. And so you had this, this commerce, commerce now going back and forth, with the people, so so this actually strengthened the economy of the country. Just this you know, obedience to the feasts. So there's other things that are that are going on there. But getting back to your question, no, I don't know how many days total that was. It's probably more than we think. Okay, we'll stop there. Then.